to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome to episode 13 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Boy, do I have an amazing episode for you this week. In this episode, I'll be talking with Bill Fogarty of 21 Plex. Our conversation piggybacks off of episode 11, where I talked with Kerry Plemons from the University of Denver's Public Safety Leadership Program. In that episode, Kerry and I talked about the importance of cross-discipline training. So if you haven't yet listened to that episode, I suggest that you go back and listen to it first and then come back here and listen to episode 13. The first half of today's show will be focused on how Bill and his team of instructors focus on breaking down silos and bringing together public safety professionals from law enforcement, corrections, fire, EMS, dispatch, and emergency management for effective cross-discipline training. Then the second half of this episode is going to be something real special. Bill is going to share with you guys his own experience with taking an innovative idea and turning it into a successful business. Off the cuff, Bill comes up with a list of seven core principles to ensure your success when starting a business. And let me tell you, it's a phenomenal list. Last but not least, Bill has an awesome offer for those of you that are listening right now. The first person to send him an email will get a free seat to one of his courses. And hey, if you're listening to this episode later and kicking yourself for not jumping on this sooner, send him an email anyway. Who knows? Maybe he'll still have a special offer for you. Bill's email address can be found in the show notes for this episode. So with that, let's not delay any longer. Here is my interview with Bill Fogarty of 21 Clets. Hey, Bill, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to this. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this because this is a really, really excellent play off of a previous episode because today we're going to talk about training in silos or I guess more specifically the importance of not training in silos. Is that right? Absolutely. Breaking down silos is what it's all about. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about that. I think most everybody should catch on to the analogy that we're using with silos. But for those that maybe aren't familiar with that terminology, that analogy, uh, let's break that down and tell us what you are trying to accomplish at 21 Clets. Well, I think first and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me on to get this message out. I listened to episode 11 of your show, loved it about leadership and about how people continued to keep training separately based upon what public safety discipline they actually belong to. And so what I looked at here in California was a need to start working together to be able to train everyone together. So as you mentioned, even in my logo, the logo colors itself represent the different colors of the different lines of service. You see the gold for dispatch communications. You see obviously a thin blue line 
gray for corrections, and then obviously red for fire. And really, for me, I, I try to use the hashtag breaking down silos, but it means bringing everyone together to work collaboratively in training so that when you practice the way you play, it's going to end up with a much greater, safer result for everybody. Absolutely. And so uh, could you explain uh, about the colors in your logo and how they represent how you're bringing together these different public safety silos, like you said? But your company name is 21 Kletz, C-L-E-T-S. What does that mean? What is it all about? Absolutely. When looking at training, what I found was that a lot of training that I had personally attended or that I was involved with really relied upon past outdated methods. And so what I tried to do is set up a training company that's going to be a company engaging in technology and really looking at reinventing how we do things. And part of that is 21st century. It's no longer the 18th, 19th century uh, rote memorization where you write something down and then you learn it because you wrote it down 50 times. It is actual practical application. And so what you'll see in every one of my classes is some sort of learning activity or learning exercise that helps break down sort of that that block in your mind that if you're not a actual learner who learns by a visual method, you kind of need to do something. And so we try to bring all four of those learning modalities, auditory, kinesthetic, tactile, and visual into all of our classes. Even online, we can give you something to do. So 21 Clets stands for 21st Century Communications, Law Enforcement, Emergency Management, Training Solutions. We really bring everyone together to work collaboratively, to train together, to play together. So that way, when we actually have to be on the field together, we all know what everyone's going to do intrinsically. Awesome. I really love how you bring out that concept that this is really new methodology. In the grand scheme of things, we're talking 21st century and trying to advance training forward into the future, which is primarily what the show is all about, right? I mean, my whole purpose in the show, Public Safety Innovators, was to talk about and talk to people like yourself that are doing things that are innovative and out of the box, unorthodox ideas that are pushing the limits of what we could do into the future. And I just love that you have that right into your business name. And you know, we've talked about, gosh, I can't remember the episode numbers now, uh, but I'm going to try. But we have talked about this idea of tradition in law enforcement, how it's a good thing, but yet it also stifles our ability to advance training. And I think we talked about that first with Kerry Wooten in episode two. Then we talked about it again with Chad Emmons and John DeJohn Tommaso from the Thin Blue Online. Uh, in episode five. And then we talked about it again with Scott Savage of Savage Training Group in episode six. And then again with Adam Kinnikin in episodes eight and nine. So this is kind of a recurring theme, which obviously should tell us it's a hurdle to be overcome in the law enforcement world. We're very steeped in tradition. We hold fast to our traditions. And again, I think that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it stops us from being able to innovate and move the marker forward, especially in the area of training, that's a problem. There's really no reason because the technology has just advanced so much, even in just the last 10 years. I was a cop for 15 years and things are so much different, so much more different now than they were when I started in law enforcement. The technology we have allows us to do all of this training in a hands-on way and in a collaborative way, like you said, across silo 
that we couldn't necessarily do before. It's not just about us not wanting to do cross-discipline training or not wanting to do hands-on training. I mean, you go back 15 years, the technology just wasn't there to allow us to do that. It's there now, which is what 21st century training is all about. So thanks for breaking that down. I, I love it. It is absolutely pushing the marker forward and raising the bar on training. I appreciate that. You know, even with the classes that we started developing, what we found was that even for, and I'll give you an example, emergency management, we have a continuation of operations class that's coming up in February. And that class, while taught by emergency manager, really involved myself from law enforcement perspective, a fire captain who's retired from a fire perspective, and then a dispatcher from a dispatcher perspective. And you know, for good or for bad, we've had many incidents, and I'll give you an example of a YouTube shooting here in San Bruno, California, the airplane that we thought was down, which ended up being a gas line explosion in San Bruno uh, back in 2010, even to active shooter events that have occurred where we really looked at how everyone needs to look at what they're doing, what our backup plan to our backup plan to our backup plan is. And then applying that real world experience to bring current and relevant training to people, because whether or not it's a good thing or not, we have experiences now that we can draw upon that before people retire and go out the door, they have a lot more to give. And part of that giving back and part of that training other people is to provide the next generation with lessons learned, because I agree with you. One of the problems we have in law enforcement is that we learn how to do something one way back in the 18-1900s. And then we maybe learned that we probably shouldn't do it that way, but then those people retire and then we lose that institutional knowledge. And so really for me, what I try to do is pass on that current and relevant information from people who are just getting ready to retire, who have, like you said, a 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 year career that can really explain the reason why behind the training. So that way it's not just some sort of book information. It's not just one person's perspective. It really brings a collaborative approach to solving that question of why for any incident that ends up happening. Yeah. And I think the other advantage here, at least in my experience, in doing this cross-discipline training is we tend to make assumptions about each other, right? That's just a human thing. It's not just a public safety thing. And we tend to make assumptions about each other in the way that we accomplish our goals. And what I found when I was just a guy pushing a patrol car is that I would criticize a lot of the times, even though I had great relationships with our fire departments and our ambulance crews and our dispatchers, you would criticize the way that they did things because it didn't match the way that we did it. You know, fire would show up and we would call them the evidence eradicators. They'd just drive all over everything and, you know, stomp on it with their boots and drag their hoses across everything and destroy evidence. And, you know, we would criticize them for not doing it right. But there was very rarely ever any opportunities made to find out why they did it that way and try to correct those things and figure out where our common ground was and make those changes. And then when I became an administrator and I had to kind of have that communication and cross communication with all of those different organizations more directly, and I started to gain a little bit more understanding, you specifically mentioned about episode 11 with Carrie Plemons from the Public Safety Leadership Program. And we talked a little bit on that show about my experience going through that, how it was cross-discipline. There were firefighters, there was EMTs in that training also who were uh, in leadership positions. And what I learned in spending those three days 
up in the mountains, in the woods with these people, these people that I now have good friendships, long lasting friendships with, is that we all were trying to achieve the same goal. But because of the way we were trained, we had different ways of approaching. And what we found when we worked together up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere was that there were ways we could bridge uh, that gap, come together and accomplish the same goal without being detrimental to each other's goals, individual goals. Um, does that make sense? I guess that's what you're trying to accomplish in your training too, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I 100% think you hit the nail on the head. You know, too often we train to an incident and not through an incident. And I think that's pretty much what you just said is that, you know, we train for ourselves without having a global perspective of everything that's going on, you know, and I start off this company with one key class, which is critical incident stress management. And I have a great instructor who I work with, Dr. Janet Childs, who is somebody who had, who while a civilian uh, has worked at the Center for Living for Dying uh, for years. And she has done critical incident debriefs with fire and law separately. And she discovered that there was a bridge that was missing that was there. And once you put everyone in the same room together, uh, whether not like the West Coast Trauma Center or a, another group that we can all bridge this and build together, that's on the back end. On the front end, though, we're doing exactly what you talked about. We're missing this key opportunity that with technology, you can bring all these groups together. And, you know, obviously with COVID, it's brought a completely different perspective on now teaching and education where, you know, for me, I've tried to get classes certified across all disciplines so that when you're in the class, you're going to have all disciplines in the classroom. And part of that also means bringing in some private business to have them have an opportunity to see our perspective as well, to show that at the end of the day, it's about us working collaboratively together, uh, understanding that we have some limitations in that because we don't want to give up certain information about what we do and how we do it. But at the same time, something like uh, situational awareness is so important and trying to bring up how people can look from a 30,000 foot perspective as opposed to what's directly in front of their face. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, That just kind of brought back a memory for me that I now have a different perspective on. And in fact, when I was a patrol deputy at a previous law enforcement agency, I can remember sitting in on some training that we did. And it was specifically about our response to automobile accidents because we had had some deputies that were seriously injured on some traffic accident scenes. And so we started doing training and saying, okay, we need to change how we respond. This is how we're going to position our vehicles. This is what we're going to do to get our evidence, get the cars off the road quickly. And here's what's going to happen when fire shows up. Here's what's going to happen when EMS shows up. And so they told us that this is what they were going to do. This is what fire is going to do. This is what EMTs are going to do when they show up. But we didn't train with them. And I didn't think about that at the time, admittedly. But now, in hindsight, as that memory comes back to the front of my mind, you know, I almost want to go back in time and jump up and say, well, why don't we just train with them? Right. I mean, wouldn't that just make more sense? Because we talked about how this was supposed to work out in an ideal world. But even after that training in the classroom, it never actually went that way when we were out there on the scene, because I don't think fire was told that we were told that this is what they were going to do when they showed up because they didn't do it that way. <laughs> and I think that, you know, this goes back to one of those informal things that my company tries to do and we try to work together on is, look, 
I've gone to so many different classes where the person walking in is an instructor who's dressed in a suit, who uh, maybe had some experience 20, 30 years ago and thinks that they're the greatest things since sliced bread. And while we as cops definitely think that we are the, uh, we know everything, we've been there, we've seen it. Uh, if you have more than maybe six months on the job, the reality is that when you learn to have a cup of coffee with somebody and you learn to take off your tie and you sit down and have a discussion with someone in the classroom, you, you learn a lot more about that and you can understand people's perspectives. And, you know, like you just said, there was, there was a key component of your training that didn't happen, which is... You talked about in the classroom, but then the practical application where fires should have been told, oh, look, I now know what the cops and deputies are going to be doing. So, OK, now I can trust them to do this or I know they're going to be doing this while I'm doing this. And then also dispatchers and, you know, what they're going to do and how they're going to handle things. And then, like I said, training through the incident. So it's not just training to, hey, we all arrive, we all leave. Cool. Like there's a whole different part of this, which is the debrief to make sure you learn from any sort of incidents that may have ended up happening during your training. Yeah. And you just brought out something there that I think is profound. And I'm actually writing it down as we speak, because I think it's just that important. And that's that training is not about presentation. It's about application. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Too often we give you some sort of book knowledge and, and I don't know about you, but as a cop myself, I kept looking at all these people I work with who had a college degree and had no practical application, no practical experience. And once they had some practical experience and they learned how to apply the book knowledge they had to the actual real life application, that's why I worked with some superstars who just knew exactly what to do and how to do it because they had the book smarts and the practical application, the street smarts as we talk about. And just combining those two makes for such a different narrative or different story than when you're first starting out and you think you know everything because you have some experience and you had some bad situations you survived, so therefore, you know, you, you think you know everything. But it's really when you combine all that, that's when you become a superstar in your line of work. So tell me, and you can use some examples here, at least I'm hoping you will, uh, of some, uh, some of the training that you guys have put on. How do you bring these different silos together? And what does a training session look like? Give me a scenario. What are you guys doing to help, uh, I guess, break that barrier of this cross-discipline training and make sure that we can get these people together in the same place, work through a scenario, and come up with some lessons learned that could be applied in the real world? So I think, first of all, it starts with the whole design process of looking at what classes are needed rather than what classes are mandated. And too often what I found was that you had to go to a class because it's a state requirement. Well, that's great. But let's look at what people really need and what they want as opposed to, you know, necessarily what you're ordering them to do. So we looked at classes like critical incident stress management. We looked at classes like continuation of operations. We looked at classes like situational awareness. And they have direct application to all disciplines across the board. So as an example, our situational awareness class that we have coming up, the situational awareness class has a pilot who trains other pilots on how to fly. He has a 30,000 foot perspective. It starts with the aircraft itself. It starts with the person who's sitting in the pilot seat. It starts with him making sure he gets out the door the right way. And then I also have a DA investigator, a district attorney investigator, who has been party to several officer involved shootings. And he's worked with the people who have been involved in the shootings from all the different perspectives to bring together a package 
to show other people what happened and how it happened. And we, we have great video of incidents that have happened, real life examples and interviews with people who have survived and thrived after a critical event. And what we did was we start off with the development of the class, looking at who's teaching and the perspective of those people when they walk through the door is not a suit and tie. We're not a suit and tie organization. That's not who we are. It's not about being stuffy, sitting behind a desk. It, these, these are real world people who are coming in to give their practical experience and knowledge to make you more successful. After we do the actual instruction, the classes, development, the instructors who are there, then we looked at what kind of technology we can incorporate. So for us, obviously, we moved to online and doing webcasting like a lot of other organizations. But then we also send you a notes page, an electronics notes page that is part of your package. And that package actually allows you to write down what are the next steps to put into practical application lessons that you've learned from your class. And it also makes you think about who are the people who have to help you to make those things end up happening. Because you could be Don Quixote tilting at windmills unless you get the support of somebody who either has the money or the political capital to go ahead and help you actually make change in your organization. You're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So we're going to do some critical thinking. And I think that that's a part of it as well. The other part of this is technology and really allowing you an interaction. So when you get through with our class, a survey gets sent to you electronically. That survey then ends up linking you to a Dropbox account that then gives you the names of every other student who's in the class with you and allows you to download your certificate so you have a digital copy of it rather than a hard copy. And that way it allows you to think about that because the digital copy of the certificate is actually interactive also. So you can go to each one of our social media locations and see the current information we're putting out. I'm happy to say that this is a whole complete process. And what we're now doing is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, pushing out new social media with tips from our classes. Because we understand that as a student, it's a lifelong process to go ahead and incorporate technology to better all of us and to make things more relevant to interact with people. And, and really what we're looking for as a company is to produce people who are critical thinkers, who are able to survive and thrive through critical events, and then also work to help other people as well. Because I, I, I've heard you, Adam, talk about this, and I want to say the same thing. It's not about what I did in my career. And while I have great stories, and I can tell you all sorts of war stories, it's about helping you create and craft your own story so that you can be more successful yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So do you... Uh, are your trainings all focused on line level staff or are you also trying to target and work directly with leadership and administrative staff and that sort of thing in these courses? It actually is a combination. So when you walk through the door, we definitely want to know what rank you are to allow us to have an understanding of the decision making of what you can do and what kind of influence you can have. All of our classes are geared towards, again, bringing everybody together, line level, administrators, executive staff, uh, civilian employees, so that we can understand where everyone is coming from. Because the more perspectives we have, the better off we are in the classroom. So as an example, I have a drone class that starts off with the SUAS or drone administrator part. That class is geared towards you as a line level person wanting to know how to operate a drone, but also the administrator who's going to be responsible for telling the chief, the sheriff, or the emergency manager, or the fire chief what it is that you can do with the drone and how to actually operate in a safe manner. But then it builds off of that and gives people basic skills. 
Because if you're going to be leading a program, you should probably know what it is that your people are doing. And so that means you can participate in it as well. And then it also bifurcates into another whole section, which is advanced. And the advanced is working with special units, SWAT teams, hazardous materials for fire. So really our classes are geared towards bringing everybody together, line level, all the way through administration. Even our temporary holding cell class that we operate, it, it's about bringing everyone's perspectives so that everyone can understand what everyone else is thinking about. Because in our temporary holding cell class, most people don't understand the importance of actually doing a log and keeping track what goes into your facility and what goes out of your facility and what time it happened, what time it didn't happen at. But when you get audited, you really need to know that information. And also if something ends up happening, you want to know when someone got put into a cell and what time someone got taken out of the cell. Yeah. Now you said something a little bit ago that really jumped out at me and it piqued my interest. Actually, you said a few times, and that was that your primary goal in your training is to try and help people, the public safety professional, regardless of which silo they are in, survive and thrive. And the reason that jumped out at me, Bill, is because as you and I were talking before the show a little bit, I shared with you that my full-time business is as a marketing strategist and specifically with a focus on story-based marketing. And I help coach my clients through a story-based marketing framework to build a clear marketing message that they use to better communicate with their audience. Well, one of the things that we talked about a lot in that is that the brain is always trying to do just those two things, survive and thrive, that is. Our brain doesn't want to comprehend anything else. If it doesn't fall into either one of those two categories of surviving or thriving, then our brain just tunes it out, right? And that, of course, in my application, we're applying that towards marketing messaging because there's a lot of fluff marketing out there. People are constantly being bombarded with marketing messages all over the place all day long between social media and emails and everywhere else on the internet, right? So what I coach people on is the concept of making sure that your messaging helps people survive and thrive. And if you say anything that doesn't fall into those two categories, then it's just garbage. It needs to go away because you're going to get tuned out anyway. And what you're saying is that you're applying that same concept to your training, which I think is huge. I think that's actually beneficial to your students because there's so much training out there that is just filled with fluff. And the last thing anybody wants to do is sit in a classroom, whether that's in person or in virtual online training. We don't want to sit through stuff that is meaningless to us. If it doesn't help us survive and thrive, it's useless. And I just love that you place your focus and emphasis on that. Thank you. I, I you know, I can't emphasize enough and I'll give you my own personal experience. Uh, in 2004, I was involved in a shooting with somebody who was trying to kill me with an SKS assault rifle. And, you know, that experience itself taught me at a very early age that it, it is about surviving initially and getting through the immediate event that's in front of you, but then thriving on the other side of that and not just realizing that, okay, I survived this. And so therefore I'm good for the rest of my life. No, actually thriving means a lot of things. And that means taking care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. It means really looking at how you, again, teach through an incident, not to an incident. Because I'll tell you, you know, even after the incident happened, I was getting phone calls from people about, hey, do you know where your shell casings went after your shooting? Hey, did you know this happened? Hey, did you know this happened? And, you know, here we are now 16 years later, and it still is a very valuable learning experience that I can help other people survive and thrive through their experiences as well. And this is directly applicable to emergency management during COVID. 
And, you know, right now I'm looking at how to build some mental resiliency. I'm fortunate enough to work with uh, Marquis Ogden, who is a uh, former NFL football player who at the age of 26 lost his starting job with the Carolina Panthers. And this guy reinvented himself, went to business, and then lost his business uh, within a year or two and, and reinvented himself a third time. And now is a speaker who talks about surviving and thriving and building that mental resiliency and mental toughness and really working through the other side of that. So that way, no matter what it is that gets brought to you, you're able to go ahead and survive and conquer. And really, as warriors, as guardians of the public, that's what it's about. It's about continuing to move forward on a daily basis and not just saying, okay, this is it. I'm checked out emotionally or mentally or physically. It's about keeping moving forward and even grabbing that cup of coffee with your partner and talking to them about, hey, what happened? How are you? And what's going on? And what are your plans for the weekend? Hey, just me cutting in for a quick break. Today, we're going to start something new for our mid-show break. But first, it requires just a little bit of explanation. As many of you know, I transitioned out of law enforcement a couple years ago and started a successful business as a marketing strategist. Through some successes and hard lessons, I was able to build a six-figure business within my first year. Over the last few months, I've had several of you reach out to me to share your own innovative ideas and seek advice for starting your own business post-law enforcement. So today is going to be the first of what I am going to call the Marketing Minute, where I am going to share quick marketing tips with you to help you start your own business off on the right foot or grow your existing business. I will say this a million times, the most important element of your marketing is your messaging. I am certified in and coached clients on a story-based marketing framework. So for the first seven episodes of the Marketing Minute, we are going to talk about the seven critical elements of an effective story-based marketing strategy. Think of the last movie you watched. Every effective story opens with a character, the hero. So who is the hero of the story as it relates to your business's marketing efforts? The hero is your customer. Too often businesses position themselves, their products, or their services as the hero. When you do that, you are actually positioning yourself as the weakest character in the story. Think of the confused, unconfident, and scared Luke Skywalker when we first meet him in Star Wars. You see, your customer already subconsciously knows when they seek you out that they are the hero. But there can only be one hero in any story. So when your customer sees you positioning yourself as the hero, there are only two possible responses, and neither of them are good. Fight or flight. So what role does that leave you with? Well, we'll cover that in a following episode of the Marketing Minute. Check out every episode of the Marketing Minute by going to psi.chat forward slash marketing minute. Now, earlier you were talking about Marquise Ogden and you know what interested me there is that you mentioned the number of times he had to pivot, right? Pick himself back up, make a change. I actually talked about this with Adam Kinnikin in episodes eight and nine about how we just really don't give ourselves enough credit in law enforcement and the public safety space in general for the skill sets we have, right? 
We spend years, careers in public safety, and we start to think to ourselves, I don't know how to do anything else. And, you know, how can I possibly apply what I've learned to being in the civilian world or anything outside of law enforcement? And the reality is I can't think of another job in the world that requires as much knowledge across the vast area of disciplines as law enforcement does. So really, we don't give ourselves enough credit for how much experience and knowledge we do have and how that can be applied. And, you know, a lot of times that the obvious application is, well, I can become an instructor or a trainer or start a private security company or whatever. Right. And we talked about those in those episodes about how I, I get asked by a lot of people, how did you end up in marketing? And what I tell them is, well, my career in law enforcement wasn't just about arresting bad guys. I had a career in persuasive writing. So when I write a report, I'm trying to persuade the DA to take my case and prosecute it. I'm trying to persuade a defense attorney not to take it to trial. When I write a press release as an administrator, I'm trying to persuade people to see our point of view and understand the points of the incident are that occurred, right? And so, well, that's as good a segue as any, I guess, to talk about you and your background and how you came to um, start 21 Kletz. And I think I specifically want to share with you part of the reason why I want to talk in depth about this. Uh, one of the things that I have learned in the very early days of this podcast now, we're into 13 episodes, and uh, there is a, an unintentional audience that I've drawn out. My initial intent was to speak directly to law enforcement administrators, trainers, and people within the private security sector as well. And what I've ended up drawing out in the last month or so is a lot of people, especially cops, that have been in career law enforcement that have ideas, innovative ideas, to start businesses of their own. And they haven't taken that next step. For whatever reason, they have some sort of mental barrier that says, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. It's too big of a risk, you know? I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. I know I can get a paycheck every month. And so I've had a, a lot of people reaching out to me who have been listening to the show and have these uh, business ideas and are asking for some advice on how to get started with them and how to make that transition because I did it and you did it too. And so I want to hear from you. I want to draw that out for those people in the audience that are listening to the show that have those kinds of ideas and just don't know what the next steps are. I want Bill to be an inspiration to you. And so please, Bill, share with us your story, your background, where you started, uh, how you came to start this business and what the transition looked like for you. Absolutely. You know, I, first of all, thank you for that opportunity. What I'll tell you is that this journey really has started, uh, I hate to say this, but last century back in the 80s and 90s. You know, I initially loved law enforcement because I saw Beverly Hills Cop too, and I, I was hooked at that point because I thought that's what the real world was. <laughs> that's awesome. Obviously, little did I know that that had nothing to do with the real world. But, you know, it, it gave me a perspective of what I thought I was getting myself into. You know, my own personal journey is I actually failed out of my first police academy. It was a difficult thing for me to accept and deal with. But I'm one of these people that doesn't like to give up. And I think that the very first thing you need to think about as a goal for yourself as starting a business is don't give up. Man, life and starting a business is not easy. I mean, I'm going to tell you, it, it is something that's rough. Everyone looks at it and goes, oh, th this is easy. I can do this. No, it's not that easy. So the first thing is you can't give up. And we talk about that in law enforcement from day one. You don't give up on things. You keep pushing through it. So number one, have an idea. Don't give up. 
I'd say the second thing is, you know, as I've progressed in my career, I've had the opportunity to work for a college campus, uh, a local police department, a municipal one, uh, a county sheriff's office, and teach for not just all of them, but also throughout the entire state of California. And what I've found is the more broad your experiences are, and the more you are open to experiencing new things, the more likely you are to go ahead and be successful at your business. You, again, have a 30,000-foot perspective as opposed to the myopic one-foot perspective. And so starting a business is don't think and don't drill down to the nitty-gritty and say, I'm a one-trick pony. This is the only thing I know how to do. Really look at what is out there. I think you just highlighted, Adam, yourself, where you drew out this audience you didn't know you even had. And really, part of being in the business world is knowing how to pivot and knowing how to go ahead and figure out what the next step is and what that looks like and being able to be fluid and flexible enough, which is, again, I think lesson two is being fluid and flexible. And we learned this in the academy that if you do something and you try to get someone down on the ground, it's not working. Well, then don't do the same thing over and over again. That's what gets us in trouble. Instead, look and think outside the box. And really, de-escalation classes are all about thinking outside the box. And so it's not the it's not the make tell. It's the, hey, let me ask you, let's figure this out, and then let's get through this. So I think being fluid and flexible is number two. Uh, number three is when you have an idea, get people around you who want to tell you no. And I can't emphasize this enough. Find those people that are your critics who are going to tell you you're wrong and all the reasons why you're wrong. And put it out there. And this is where, you know, you got to check your ego. You got to realize you're not the smartest person in the room. But you run it by people who are either experts in the field or people who don't want to be nice to you, people who are going to tell you that your ideas are stupid, that you don't know where you're coming from, and get them to provide feedback to you. And I think this is the next step for me is check your ego at the door and figure out what you want and approach those people and get them to give you some perspective on why they think it's not a good idea. Now, it may be they have their own beliefs that maybe because they want to go in competition with you. So, you know, make sure you sign your non-disclosure agreement. But the other thing is make sure that you get them to tell you why it's not working and then figure out solutions to that problem. And I think the next step is you got to bulletproof yourself. And, and I hate to say this, but uh, I've already been burned before in one of my classes. You, you got to use your capabilities and understand what the law is and get a lawyer involved. And that goes from everything from incorporation to paying your taxes to drilling down and knowing what an NDA or non-disclosure agreement is and working with the other people to have them understand what it is too. And I think that that's a good part of business. And if I could go back and do anything differently, I think the last part of this would be get an understanding of the business world and how the business world operates. Because we know in our in our brotherhood and sisterhood of law enforcement, working together as a family, that we don't need more than a handshake because we've been through the battles together. We, we know each other. We trust each other. Well, not everyone does that. And so unfortunately, you need to know what you can do to protect yourself. So that when someone steals your entire training, you know what the ramifications are for that. And know that your idea, whatever it is, may be that million idea, million dollar idea and learn how to work it. And then I think the last part of this is find the money, find out where you can go to go ahead and get paid for your idea and how you're going to go ahead and save up your money to get your idea to fruition and look at what you're going to need for that. And it's one of the reasons why I started this training company while I'm still working full time 
And so that way I have the capital coming in. So that way I can go ahead and make this happen. Because as my dad always said, and still says to this day, it takes money to make money. And if you're not willing to invest your own money in something, uh, then you shouldn't be in that line of work. And, you know, Adam, I heard you say absolutely 100%. You got to believe in it. And if you don't believe in it, no one else is going to believe in it. You put your money where your mouth is and you tell everybody that you're doing that. Well, then guess what? They're going to believe it and they're going to do it as well. So, I mean, to me, I think those are the really important steps for running your own business. And you got to take a leap of faith sometimes. And you got to do it while you have some sort of safety net so that if it falls, then you can go ahead and do it all over again. I think it was Alexander Graham Bell tried to develop a light bulb a couple of thousand times until he finally got it right. And uh, you know what? He got it right and it works to this day. Bill, that was amazing. Anybody that's listening to the show might assume that Bill um, was prepared for that question and he wasn't. I didn't let Bill know we were going to go down this road of discussion. And so this was completely uh, on a whim. Um, I'm impressed that you were able to throw that list out there like that. And, and it's a good, good list. So let me recap because I wrote some of these down. Number one is have an idea and don't give up. Number two is be fluid, be flexible. Number three is surround yourself with people that will tell you you're wrong. Number four is check your ego at the door. Number five, bulletproof yourself. Number six, get an understanding of the business world and how it operates. And number seven, find the money to do it right. Uh, so is, is that a good recap of those seven? Absolutely. Now you said that, I think I need to take my own notes because I 100% agree with you. And I think that's that's spot on. I'm going to share that list with you. Thank you. Let me reinforce a few things. Number one, uh, have an idea. Don't give up. I mean, obviously, that's what we have to start with, right? I mean, start with uh, the idea. And you're right. You have to come up with an idea and you just have to go after it. You have to go after it with everything you've got. If you believe you have a good idea, the only way to find out if it's a good idea or if it's a polished turd uh, is to just get after it and try it out, right? And so I love that you follow that up immediately with be fluid and be flexible because the idea might not be as awesome as uh, you thought it was. Maybe the foundation of it is awesome and you just need to adjust what's built on that foundation. You know, I mean, if we're going to use that analogy, maybe the house that's built on the foundation has siding and windows that are hideous, right? And we need to change that. But to be fluid and be flexible is so important because I can say, even from my own experience, what my business looked like when I started it is far different than what it looks like now. And I did things, took on things that really weren't productive for me. They weren't profitable. I wasn't good at them and I didn't enjoy them. And there was a period of time I had to figure out what works for me. What am I good at? What areas am I best at? What could I make the most profit in? And how do I get rid of the things that don't work? And you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to constantly assess your business and say, is this idea working or not? And if you love that thing that you're doing, but it's not making money, sorry, but you got to bury it, you know? So be fluid and be flexible. Man, you did these in like the perfect order, Bill, with number three. Surround yourself with people who will tell you you're wrong. Well, obviously, that's a big part of identifying what those things are that you need to be fluid and be flexible about. In my case, it's it's my wife. I mean, there's other people, too, that will tell me when my poop stinks and when I'm wrong. 
but my wife is actually the CFO of the company. So she will often share with me, Hey honey, I don't think this thing is working out. We probably need to move off of that. And so, um, anyways, I wanted to reinforce those three things specifically. I'm not going to go back through all of them and touch on them in more depth now, but I do want to add on to just one of them. If I can, I want to add on to number seven, the last point, which was find the money to do it right. I'm biased in this. I'll admit that up front because what I do is help companies with their marketing. Investing in doing it right means investing in proper marketing too. Every good entrepreneur is going to bootstrap and that's a good thing. It's, it's an honorable thing to try and do as much of everything as you can initially on your own because you have to try out that idea. But as soon as you kind of uh, get to somewhere between number one and two, and you identify that your idea has some merit and it's going to work, you need to invest in getting it right and having proper messaging and branding and a proper website, a professional website, professional marketing assets and uh, materials. Because there is so much noise out there, we have to cut through the noise and make sure that we stand out and are different than what else is out there on the market. And I can't tell you the number of times I've worked with companies that come to me and they have been bootstrapping it for a long time. And they say, we hit the ceiling. We're not bringing in any more business. What's wrong? Why are we having this problem? And it's, uh, well, you didn't hire a professional to put this stuff together for you. And, and it's not effective. So now we need to rework it, right? So I can't stress that part of it enough. But again, I, I'm biased, obviously. So anyway, thanks again for that list. Absolutely. I, I thank you for the opportunity to... Uh share that. I mean, again, this goes back to my mission, which is, you know, it's really about preparing everybody and training through and to events, but making sure we're survive and come out the other side. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you for all your listeners out there, and hopefully we're establishing a pretty good friendship with each other. Anytime anyone needs anything, email me, let me know. I'm around the corner. And while I may not be able to get to you instantaneously, because I do have other things going on, I'm more than happy to help out because that's what I'm about and that's what the company is about. It's about being supportive and helping each other out and, and really about being around as a lifelong learner because I can guarantee you I've learned more from other people about myself than just me doing a lot of inner perspective. And, and really, I'm here to help. And anything I can do to help someone else out, I'm here to help that and do. Yeah, I appreciate you offering that. And of course, I'll second that. This is probably a good point in the show, Bill. Why don't you share with everybody how they get more information from you? How do they get in touch with you? Whether that's because they want to pick your brain about something, or maybe they want to sign up for a course, or maybe they want to follow you on social media, whatever it may be. Can you let everybody know where do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So first and foremost, the website for the company is www21, numbers 21, Kletz, C-L-E-T-S dot com. You can find all of our classes that are listed there. To get in touch with me personally, my email address is simply Bill, B-I-L-L, at 21kletz.com. You can also send me an email there at any point. I can get back to you. To register for our classes, you'll go to our website and you'll click on Upcoming Classes. And there's a listing of classes that we have up and available through April of next year. Again, part of being prepared means you're forecasting all the way out into April of classes that people are going to need and providing opportunity for people. 
Uh, and then on social media, we are across all the channels, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, at 21 Cluts. And you can find us on every single one of those platforms. Again, we're, we're trying to keep people up to date with information and uh, interaction with you. Uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, matter of fact, on Wednesdays now, we're giving away uh, special prizes to people who follow us on social media. So keep an eye out for that as well. Oh man, I like special prizes. I got to jump on there and do that too. I love free stuff. Absolutely. If it's free, take two. Exactly. Uh, as always, I will share all of those links in the show notes for this episode. For anybody who's listening, if you want to reference that and anything else that we discussed on the show, I'll reference in the show notes. Uh, you can check it out there at psi.chat forward slash 013 for episode 13. Bill, anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't covered already? I think in closing, I just want to say, you know, 21 Clets and myself are about providing current and relevant information. And that includes being a lifelong student ourselves. And it means being available for anybody and everybody. The cost of the classes, we try to keep cheap. So that way, anyone can go to the training from any discipline. And if you need help going to one of our classes because you just simply can't afford it, let me know via email. I'll try and get you in one of the classes because it truly is about the information that's in the class. It's not about making money. And at the end of the day, yes, I would say I need some money to survive, but I want to be able to get the information out there to everybody. I, I hope that whatever we can do to help you, we're able to do. And if we're not, I'm going to point you in the right direction to help you out, to get you connected. Even if that means you're trying to start your own business, I'm more than happy to provide you with resources of things that I've learned from my past. And uh, I'm here to help out. Follow us on social media. Send me an email. Again, bill at 21clets.com. And uh, I'm here to help out. Awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic show, Bill. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, this has certainly been a favorite, and I think it's uh, going to be a top episode. I appreciate you having me on the show, sir. All right. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Public Safety Innovators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show please head over to my website at publicsafetyinnovatorspodcast.com or simply psi.chat where you can check out episode notes and other episodes from the show. While you're there, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really anywhere else that you prefer to listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate if you could help other people find the show by leaving a review wherever it is that you prefer to listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you if you have feedback about the show, a suggestion on a guest, or maybe you're a public safety innovator yourself and would like to be a guest on the show. Please head over to my contact page on the website and you can submit that information there or just email me at adam at psi.chat. All right, I'll catch you on the next episode.